shortest distance between two points is? Your geometry teachers would be proud of you. The shortest, I mean, that's an axiom. That means we don't prove that. We use that to prove other things. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line. That means if I'm at point A and I want to get to point B, the shortest distance between point A and point B, straight line. Hey, now, that may be true in geometry, but when you and I think about what God is doing with our lives, we wonder if God doesn't think the shortest distance between two points is a zigzag. And by that I mean, we're at point A, and somehow we believe that God intends to take us to a point B. That's sort of the vision that he has put. The Spirit of God has kind of said to our heart that that's God's will for our life. That's the destiny. That's where we're going to end up. And in our thinking, the shortest distance between where I am now and where I believe that God is taking me is a, short line, is a straight line. But if God is taking me there, he's on a very erratic path. It may be the company you joined at an entry-level position. Entry-level is point A. But as you think about your future with the company, it seems like God is saying, here's the position you're going to have eventually in the company. It's that corner office on the second floor with the windows and the gold nameplate on the door. That's where God's going to take you in this company. Right. Now, in our thinking, the shortest distance between entry level and second floor corner office goes something like this. I get assigned to some project that is central to the company business. My team that I'm on does well on that project. And my performance somehow gets me assigned as the lead of another team for another company, another project. Uh, and my team and I, we bring that project in on time, under budget. This brings me to the attention of the decision makers of the company. I get tagged as somebody who's on the fast track. He's a comer, somebody to watch. And the bigwigs at the company start moving me around to different positions within the company so that I get a familiarity with the entire operation. And when that second floor office becomes vacant, I'm the natural person to put it. See that? Boom. Nice straight line. But if God is taking me there, he's sure on a strange path. Because instead of getting assigned to something that was central to what the company does, I got assigned to something that is, was peripheral to what the company did. So peripheral, it got shelved halfway through. And now I'm in some small cubicle, and nobody knows that I work for the company. It may be that you started a construction business, point A. 
And God has given you a picture of what your company is going to look like someday. You see the, the magnitude of the business, the size of the operation that God is going to make your company be someday. And that's, that's a picture God has put in your heart. Now, a nice straight line would be you bid on a project and you get the bid and you do the project well and you make a profit. This enables you to hire another worker, and the two of you are able to bid on additional projects, and pretty soon you're doing so well that you're hiring other employees, and you're buying company trucks, and you're increasing your inventory, and you're, all of a sudden, you're now bidding on county or government projects, and your company is, wow, there it is, just like God told me. But if God's taking you there, he's on a very strange route. Because instead of making money on that project you bid on, you lost money. And instead of hiring somebody, you've actually folded the business. And now you're working for somebody else. For you, point A may be single. You believe it's God's will for your life that you're going to be married. He has kind of said to you, that's what's going to happen one day. Now, the shortest distance between single and married goes something like this. Somebody very attractive comes to Trinity one Sunday. You and some of the other singles gather in a certain place in the plaza, and they find their way there. And as a group, you decide, let's go to Panera for lunch. And you invite this person to go to lunch with you. And at Panera, you sit by them, and wow, what, what a great conversation. What, what laughter. Oh, man, I hope they come back next week. And they do. And so next week, out in the plaza, as the group decides that we're going to go to Chipotle, the two of you say, why don't we go to California Fish Grill ourselves, by ourselves, by ourselves, not with the group. And you do. At California Fish Grill, after lunch, as you're walking across the parking lot, before you get in your cars, you make a date for Friday night. There have been a lot of Friday night dates. There have been some after-work dinners. You've made the trip to meet each other's parents, the obligatory pit trip to pass inspection. <laughs> and pretty soon you show up to the pastor, September the 19th. Is that open on your calendar? Dum, dum, da dum, dum. <laughs> A straight line. But if God is taking you there, they're coming and going. Coming and going. Mostly going. <laughs> All right, you see who we're talking. This morning, I would like us to see that sometimes God deliberately takes our life on an alternate path to get us to the destination he intends for us. Sometimes with God, the shortest distance between two points is a zigzag. I want us to see 
that sometimes God will intentionally, purposefully, knowingly take our life on a zigzag pattern. I want us to see why he does that. What's his reason? What's his purpose? What's, what's he trying to accomplish with that? And then finally, how does he keep us encouraged to keep going? In the midst of the zigs and the zags, and we don't seem to be making any progress, how does he sustain us? How does he keep us moving toward the goal expectantly and joyfully when we don't see any progress being made? To see that God sometimes intentionally and knowingly takes us on a zigzag path, we're going to turn to a time in Israel's history when he took them on a zigzag path. They are at point A. They know what their point B is, and they know that God is going to take them to that point B, but they find that he takes them on an alternate zigzag path. Their point A is Goshen in the land of Egypt. Point B is Canaan, Palestine, the land God has promised to them, the promised land. That's where Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are buried. They know that as they leave Egypt, and as they head to Canaan, there is an international trade route, a fairly straight line along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and through the Philistine territory and into the land of promise, point B. Pharaoh has capitulated. The plagues have devastated Egypt wailing, mourning through the land because of the death of the firstborn. Pharaoh says, get out, leave, go. They rendezvous in Goshen, where they have been slaves for 400 years. And they know that their destiny is Canaan. And they can get from point A to point B in a relatively straight line in 8 to 10 days. What we're going to read God takes them in the opposite direction. He takes them south toward the Red Sea. Open your Bible to Exodus 13. I'll give you time to find it. Exodus 13. Genesis, Exodus. Exodus 13. We're going to read that when Pharaoh said, get out, as Israel left Egypt, they did not head on that straight line path. God took them in the opposite direction on a zigzag route. Let's read it in verse 17, Exodus 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. And so God led the people around by the desert road 
south toward the Red Sea. And they went up out of Egypt armed for battle. God intentionally and deliberately led his people on a zigzag path. Sometimes God does that with our life, very purposefully, very knowingly. He will take us on an alternate path to the destination he intends for us. Now, why would he do that? What's his purpose? What's his reason? What is he accomplishing? Why would he do that? The reason is because God knows that on the straight line path, if he took us that way, we'd never make it. There is some obstacle on that shorter route, which when we encountered it, we would not get past it and we would never reach his intended destination. For Israel, the text will tell us that on that straight line path, there was war. Look again at verse 17. God said, if they face war, which is, will be on that short route through Philistine territory, if they face war, they'll change their minds. They'll go back. They'll never get to the destiny. The text doesn't tell us what the war is. It could be one of a couple of things. It could be Egyptian military installations. Uh, that's because this international trade route was also the international invasion route. Uh, Egypt's enemies to the north, Syria and Nineveh and Babylon, when they were invading Egypt, this is the route they came down, and Egypt had developed some fortifications to repel the invaders. It could be that. It could be the Philistines whose territory they would go through. The Philistines at that time were the most warlike people in that particular part of the world. One way or another, God says, if I take them on the direct route, they won't make it. God says, my people are not ready for war. <laughs> They've been slaves for 400 years. They have no military skills. They have no social cohesion. They have no organizational structure. Their organizational chart is Moses, two and a half million. <laughs> I need to get my people south into the Sinai area. I need to get them into an isolated spot because I need to do several things with them first before they are ready and prepared and will successfully be able to enter into the destiny I have for them. First of all, I need to teach them who I am. For 400 years, they didn't even know my name. Moses said, when they asked me, what is this God that sent you? Who? I need to let them know what I am like. I need to let them know that I'm going to be committed to them forever. When they get out on that desert floor and their food exhausts and they say, unless the God who rescued us out of Egypt shows up, we're going to die in this desert. When they get to that point, I'm going to show up. And I'm going to show up every day, every morning, morning after morning after morning, month after month after month. I'm going to float down from heaven some sort of flake, like a pita chip. <laughs> and it will be something they've never seen before. And they will go out in the morning and it will cover the ground. And they'll pick it up and they'll say, 
manhu. That's Hebrew for manna. Manna is manhu. And in Hebrew, manhu means, what is it? What's it? <laughs> it will have all the nutrients they need, and they will learn that I have committed myself to them, and I will be with them every day of their history. I need to teach them that first. The second thing I need to do, getting them alone, isolated Egypt area, I need to change their self-image. My goodness, they, they view themselves as slaves, slaves. No. I need to, them to see that they are the most favored nation on earth. The God of creation has chosen them out of all the peoples on earth. The God of creation has chosen them to be his special treasure. I need them to see that they are the most highly exalted nation because they are going to hold the oracles of truth that I'm going to give them. They are going to have the wisdom that will guide all the peoples on earth and they will be known as the ones who give the Judeo ethic that becomes the Christian ethic which becomes God's truth and life for the world. They are the nation that I have chosen to do that. And then finally, I need to do something about their military skills, okay? Uh, but the way to do that is not to have them fight trained armies. We're going we're gonna to have some skirmishes with Bedouin tribes, uh, stuff they can handle. And when they've got that down, then, then they will be ready. And we will take them, not on that straight line, we will take them around and they will enter across the Jordan River from the east. Sometimes God, in his wisdom, knows that there is an obstacle in the straight line path. And he lovingly protects us. And the shortest distance between two points becomes a zigzag because that's the only safe, sure way. Sometimes God, in his wisdom, knows that at that entry-level position that you're at in that company, before he can move you too far within the company, there is some disgruntled older worker who needs to be taken out of the way. This older worker would be jealous of your rapid advancement and he would sabotage your promotion so that you would never get to the point B and he needs to be transferred or retired first. And God in his wisdom is making sure that the straight line is not the one you go down. In the company you started, if God took you too fast to the magnitude of the construction business that he has put within your heart, it may involve too many hours, and your children would suffer. They would not see. Unwise financial decisions might be made for the family with such a huge influx of money. And so God protects, keeps it at a level where during the years that the children are growing, you have time at home with them and there are commitments and there are abilities to attend family activities, school plays, ball games, dance recitals. learning how to make good decisions financially. 
Sometimes in marriage, the person that God intends to bring to you, they're not ready yet. They need to work through some things. They've got some issues that they need to resolve and take care of and so that when the marriage takes place, it will be stable and joyful, not tentative or troublesome. God, in his wisdom, sometimes takes our life on an alternate path in order to get us safely to his intended destination. But that can be hard on us. We don't see ourselves making any progress. We get discouraged. In fact, after a bit of time, we may even begin to doubt that there ever was a point B. Maybe that's not God's dream. Maybe that's just my, maybe I just psyched myself up because I wanted it so bad. It's not God's destiny, it's my pipe dream. In the midst of the zigs and the zags, when doubt and discouragement enters, how does God keep us encouraged? How does he sustain us? How does he keep us moving forward toward the goal joyfully, expectantly? The Bible goes on to tell us that God does two things for us that keep us moving. There are two ways, two things he gives us that enable us to remain encouraged and trusting and knowing that his good intention the first thing that God does for us, he gives us reminders of his good intentions. In the midst of the zigs and the zags, somehow God communicates to us that he is still moving us toward that goal. Something somebody says, something we read, something we think in the night, but somehow a reminder of God's intentions keeps us encouraged and moving ahead. In Israel's case, the reminder of God's good intention was a coffin, a sarcophagus. We read that when they left Egypt, they took a coffin with them, Joseph's bones. Verse 19, a very strange note that comes right after they leave Egypt. Verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him in a coffin, a sarcophagus. And the reason he took the bones of Joseph with him was because 400 years earlier, at the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear to him by oath. Joseph had said on his deathbed to all the Israelites gathered around him, this is not our home. God will surely come to your aid at some point and when you leave Egypt, you must carry my bones up with you from this place. Don't leave me in Egypt. God is going to take you into Canaan, and I want to be buried where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are buried. Swear to me, you'll take my bones with you. Joseph was the first one to go down into Egypt. He was sold there by his brothers. He went into slavery. God honored him, and he eventually became the number two person in the kingdom. He saw his brothers and his father and their families come, and 70 people joined him at the height of his rule. By the time of his death, these 70 had grown to two to 300 when he says to them, eventually God's going to get you out of here. Now these two to 300 have become two and a half million. And as they leave Egypt, 
they pick up the coffin that they are going to take to Canaan. And every day when six men picked up that heavy coffin and started out on the march, that coffin said to everybody in Israel, this coffin is going to go to Canaan. And I can hear some little kid in Israel say to his mother, why are those men carrying that big box? Honey, that's not a box. It's a coffin. What's a coffin? Well, it has the bones of a dead man in it. Oh, gross. <laughs> but why are we taking it? Well, we're, we're taking it to Canaan. But, 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 but we're not headed to Canaan. We're not headed to Canaan. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. That coffin was God's continual reminder of his good intentions. And it could be as you're sitting in this side cubicle and nobody knows you even work for the company, a phone call is transferred to you and it turns out to be a client that you've helped previously. And when the client hears your voice on the phone, are you still on that day? Man, I would have thought by now you would be. <laughs> and out of his mouth will come point B. You have never said those words to anybody. And God has put in his voice his reminder to you, that's where you're going to be. It could be in your construction business as you come home one day after working for somebody else and you hit the playback on the voice machine on your telephone and a voice comes out and says, I tried to find your company on the internet, but I couldn't find it. Somebody told me you went bankrupt or you folded it. My goodness, with the ability you have, I would have thought by now you'd be the president of a company that was Out of their mouth comes the dream that God has given you. It could be as you're single, some dear lady from Trinity will come up to you and say, you know who I think would make a good couple? <laughs> you and... And you think, Lord, I think so too. That's the first thing that God does for us somehow, somehow, by someone saying something, by something you read, by thoughts that come in the, in the night, somehow God gives you reminders. I'm moving you. Trust me. The second thing that God does for us, he says that in the midst of the zigs and the zags, you will have a palpable sense of his presence as never before. When it doesn't seem like you're necessarily progressing and you're on an alternate path, you will sense the nearness of your God like you've never felt his nearness before. He will be guiding you. He will be protecting you. His spirit will be telling you what he wants you to know. His presence will be overwhelmingly on you. That's what we read next. 
the palpable sense that Israel experienced. They described it as a, a cloud pillar, an opaque, swirling mass of whiteness that rose like a pillar into the sky. It came into their existence the moment they stepped out of Egypt. And it stayed with them on all the zigs and the zags until they crossed the Jordan River into the land and it was gone and never again. In the midst of the zigs and the zags, they had a tangible sense of God's presence like they never had before in their nation's history. We read about this pillar of cloud in verse 20. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. Now, now, where's Etham? Etham's on the edge of the desert. What does that mean? It means Etham's not the end of the world, but you can see the end of the world from Etham. Okay? <laughs> when they step out of Etham, it's into no man's land. It's a trackless waste. No trails, no maps, no GPS, nothing. Nobody goes out there. And what happened? By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud so that he could guide them on their way. And by night, that pillar of cloud became luminescent. It looked like there was a fire inside of it. It glowed so that at night you could see it just as clear as you could see it in the day. And whether they moved by day or by night, that presence of God was with them. They could travel by day or by night. Neither that pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night, it never left its place in front of the people until they stepped into point B. God's presence was tangibly with them. This pillar, this cloud, this opaque whiteness, it was protecting them and sheltering them. The scripture will tell us that as they left Egypt and all of a sudden they became aware that Pharaoh's chariots were thundering after them. The pillar was going ahead of them. But all of a sudden they saw there was a sea in front of them and chariots behind them. And the Bible tells us that that pillar of cloud passed over them and inverted itself between the chariots and them. The horses could not penetrate that thick whiteness. They could not get through it. And then the sea opened up and they went across the sea on dry land. And when they were across, the pillar of cloud lifted and the chariots came into the bottom of the sea, red bed, and the water covered them over. The pillar of cloud, God was protecting them in the midst of the zigs and the zags that they were going to take. Their God was protecting them. Their God was also sheltering them. The Bible tells us in the book of Psalms that this pillar, when they got out into the heat of the desert, it became a cloud cover, a canopy that shaded them during the day. This was their God protecting them, guiding them. It was also from this cloud that their God would speak to them. 
When they got at Sinai, this cloud shrouded the top of the mountain. And out of the top of the mountain, out of the whiteness and haze of the cloud, came the voice of God speaking words to them that made them the most favored nation on earth, for they knew the truths of life. No nation had ever had their God speak to them. My friend, somehow in the midst of your zigs and zags, God promises to be very present in your life, guiding you, going ahead, leading, protecting, his spirit telling you what he wants you to know in order that you can joyfully follow him in his path. Sometimes with God, the shortest distance between two points is the zigzag. God deliberately leads us on alternate paths because in his wisdom, he knows. I've got the sure, safe way to get you to what I've promised. Follow him without fear. You are safe in his hands. Let's pray. We bow to your wisdom that we do not have, to your ability to know the future, which we cannot know. We place ourselves in your loving hands, confident that you will work in our life to accomplish your purposes, and we will joyfully praise your name when they happen. In Jesus' name, amen.